Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hi folks, welcome to a long overdue episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. My name is Rich Wilgus, and on the other end of the line, we have special new host. What's your name? Paul Potts. And where are you uh, joining us from today? Saginaw, Michigan. Windy and warm today. Sunny. Nice. Yeah, weather's pretty nice here in Utica, New York, too. I am, of course, located in Bloodthirsty Vegetarian's Studio 1A, our only studio. Well, I guess we have two studios now, one out in Michigan and one out in here in Utica. But um, Paul is a guy that I met on the Internet a couple years ago through a uh, fellow podcaster. Through Meredith, right. And uh, we became friends on Facebook and... We've had a few Skype phone conversations and we exchanged many, 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 many Facebook posts were of uh, kind of a similar political bent. And uh, Paul is, uh, is a musician as well, uh, who I've worked with. I've actually done some work for him. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, like what you do and who you are for our, for our fan that's going to listen to this show? I've got a, a little home studio. Um, I'm fortunate enough. I work from home. I'm a software engineer. Um, and we moved into a house here in Saginaw a couple of years ago. I set up a room as a home studio. I'm an amateur musician, uh, never gotten paid. I, well, I did sell, uh, I think two or three downloads from my, uh, Bandcamp page. Cool. But I, I enter songwriting contests for fun. Uh, I play guitar and a little bass and a little keyboard. And I'm into, very into the technical production side, the recording side, very untrained, but sort of learning by doing, and it's become a hobby, and it's it's a lot of fun. So you're a, a father, five kids. Wow, that's a lot of kids. How do you do it? Uh, I go without sleep mostly. <laughs> yeah, I hear. And you. I have a lot. I have a good sized glass of whiskey every night before bed. Yeah, you enjoy the. Uh... The the uh, not not every not every night. But. No 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 no. You enjoy the rye the rye whiskeys. Uh, scotch usually scotch. Scotch. Yeah, I don't know that I much do... about whiskey. Well, what's the difference? Uh, scotch is made from barley, but I do have some very fine rye whiskey too. So, two of the big but... three gluten offenders, by the way. Yeah, I heard. I was sad to hear that. Um, it well, sort of whether you consider it gluten free depends on how very sensitive you are. But Scotch whiskey does have some gluten in it, so people who are really touchy with it should best avoid it. It's too bad. Another pleasure pleasure denied. My wife currently can't drink either. She used to enjoy a glass of whiskey with me. Well, I actually have had uh, Scotch and. Uh... Rye whiskey. Uh, most people consider it fairly safe because uh, when the uh, evaporative process happens, the distilling process, the gluten allegedly doesn't go with it. They do say um, some of those manufacturers use a little caramel coloring for color. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of them do. And that Although, can often add uh, some gluten. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, they're trying to, there's sort of a movement towards uh, making the, the scotch more uh, natural, more, uh, you know, as it comes out uh, without, um, they cut it to a, like a standard dilution, and there's also a movement towards, you know, get it at cask strength. It's got a lot more flavor. And not chilling, not chill filtering it. You've got more more flavor remaining in there. It hasn't been all so. The, the reason for that though is that it gets cloudy under some conditions, and right, they right. thought that that was like unattractive to people. But actually, everything that's cloudy in it is like little floating uh, bits of flavor. <laughs> floating bits of flavor. Yeah. Yum. Well, it goes like a, it forms a colloid or something. It's it's visible. Little oils, little flavor oils. Uh, it's neat stuff. I, I don't know that much about it, but I've got some. Uh, I've got a collection in the basement. Nice. So I, I don't know how often Paul and I are actually going to do a podcast. If we could do one a month, I would. We'll be... see how it goes. I, I, if it goes well, uh, I probably could do a weekly thing. But let's see how it goes. So let's just jump right into uh, the first topic. Um, Paul actually came up with the topics today, and they're not unlike what we would have talked about years ago. Very political stuff. So what? Uh, what do you? Uh, what was your choice for topic number one? Topic number one. I wanted to to go back. Uh, it's now a little a, a few weeks on, but I wanted to talk about the the death of Andrew Breitbart, and maybe a little bit about his career and what he achieved and what he'll be remembered for. Right, and I know you had written a little bit of a blog piece about that, a bit of a, a eulogy or something. Uh, yeah, of, to... of course. I started right in on on my uh, my snotty comments on Facebook, and then someone reminded me that you know you should not there's, speak there's ill sort of the of dead. A, yeah, there's a saying about speaking ill of the dead. And I was, of course, my immediate thought there was, well, he sh- certainly would have spoken ill of me. You know, had I died, he wouldn't give me any respect but to kind of remember well, I guess I guess we'll never know really yeah but I kind of remember that you know we're supposed to be better than that so I gave it 24 hours and then I tried I actually wrote I thought about it a little longer wrote a little sort of a eulogy that I thought was a little more balanced and I'm reading it a little later and I don't feel like it's entirely an attack on the man so but yeah I, I, I had a few points um I it's the first one being that, in a way, I feel like he died by Twitter. Right. Yeah, I remember we talked about that. And that's, uh, you say, what do I mean by that? The same way that people commit suicide by cop. Like, you know, he did it voluntarily. It wasn't that Twitter reached into his home and killed him. But um, he was tweeting round the clock. And he got in arguments with people constantly. And he was... Attacking, 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 forwarding, retweeting, whatnot. And uh, I don't know exactly how the timeline went down, but it looked like the very night he died, he was out for a walk and still engaged in some Twitter arguments with people. Well, he also, yeah, from what I saw, he went to a bar to do some, you know, drinking and, uh, well, not necessarily to drink, but, you know, to have a cocktail and he ran into a guy. Mm -hmm. They had a little bit of a political chat. Got worked up. Then he went home and uh, died on the way. So it seems like, yeah, he uh, he used the technology that we're all possibly guilty of using now uh, to keep himself just in a constant state of being worked up, that he was not able to 
you know, like just uh, chill out, enjoy his family in the evenings, you know, leave his job at the office. Now, I don't, I don't know much about him. He may have had a congenital. I don't think the autopsy has been completed yet, but... They don't he, seem to be very revealing on that yet. No, he may have had a congenital heart problem or, he, you know, some kind of thing like that. But it, it does seem to me that, you know, we're not designed to be enraged around the clock and that that was his persona and that was, you know, his job. He made a lot of money at it. He be- made a, he became famous at it, and it wasn't good for him. I suspect that it is strongly, that that behavior is strongly implicated in his early death. What I know about him is basically what I get off of, you know, watching Rachel or Keith Olbermann, and I, I didn't follow the guy too much because he struck me as a paranoid, a paranoid idiot, to be honest. And And I mean... I didn't know the man, so obviously I, I, I'm not going to sit here and be completely critical of him. But what I saw of him, he didn't strike me as a critical thinker. Um, you know, he believed in the liberal conspiracy, which is just inane. You right. know, that the liberals run the media and this, that, and the other thing. And I sit here and I look at the, the, the media landscape, and I see, you know, Fox News and Limbaugh and all of these extremely radical right-wing people – they think just because Rachel Maddow and, and Keith Olbermann each have a show or something that, you know, two out of 50 makes up some sort of liberal media conspiracy. You know, I mean, that the whole media further... landscape is is dominated uh-huh. by liberal views. And there's really all any kind of conservative voice is just being constantly edged out. Exactly. It's now yeah, it's and, a pers- and, persecution fantasy and it's it's dominant. Yeah. And how much further from that? conspiracy theory do you have to go to the extreme right wing militia type you know groups that think the it's the Jews that run everything and um, you know what I mean those kinds of people you know that they believe in this thing called the Zog the Zionist occupation government I mean sure. how much further do you have to go from Breitbart's you know uh, worldview to that sort of militia mentality or or you know even American Nazi Party kind of mentality, you know. I, it, it just seems like they're they're so close, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the guy that he had that conversation with in the bar the night that he died talked about it later. I haven't heard I have haven't heard that that bit about it uh, that aspect of the story, but I have been waiting uh, with some curiosity to see if they'll release the results of the of the autopsy because it's it's somehow just. Yeah, people do drop dead at a young age sometimes. Yeah, well, who was that great runner? Jim Fix, marathon yeah, runner. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, he he had un, you know undiagnosed heart disease, dropped dead of a heart attack, and people occasionally have aneurysms or things like that, a stroke at a young age. But it seems but like the, uh, it's usually a lifestyle r- illness when that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy was definitely you know running at ten tenths, you know, with stress level. But the yeah. guy that he, he spoke to in the bar talked about the conversation they had, and they said it was not an unpolite conversation. Um, you know, and the guy was talking about Santorum. Yeah, yeah. And he said something about um, – uh, he brought up Santorum's worldview a little bit, and uh, Breitbart's reply was, well, no, no, that's just the way the liberal media is framing it. And the guy came back and said, well, the liberal media doesn't write Santorum's speeches. Yeah, I mean, right. How can platform. that? Yeah, how can that logic be denied? How can Breitbart sit there and blame the liberal media for exact quotations from Rick Santorum or any anybody on the right? You know, it's it's right. it's it. I, I think 
I mean, you I can always know. take things out of context. I mean, you, you can take snippets out of context, and that's exactly the kind of thing that Breitbart was really good at. But yeah, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, even a lot of, I, I know a lot of conservatives and a number of Catholics, and uh, most of them are distancing themselves from Santorum and saying that, you know, he has the core of some kind of traditional religious teaching and Catholic teaching at, a lot, at some of what he's getting at. But he goes off the rails. He's actually a bad Catholic in some ways. He picks and chooses. Well, many of them are, you know, yeah. aren't most of those people? Bad, bad Christians in, in general, or in his case, a bad Catholic in particular, in that he, they, they call that being a cafeteria Catholic, where you pick and choose the teachings that you really want to emphasize. And a lot of the fundamental teachings on social justice, which are just as important to that whole um, body of thought, he likes to just kind of ignore. I, I, do, I do want to say, you know, that I, I feel sad for the man and I feel sad for his family. I'm not just in this to attack him. He has four children, you know. Okay, I wasn't aware if he had any kids or not. Yeah, four young children. And um so I I do, you know, I I really do have compassion and although, you know, there was a certain amount of Schadenfreude, I guess I I should say that was just a I feel like that was a blip, but I really don't I did not wish him dead. Actually, no, no. I, I mean, I would love to have met him and talked to him and debated him. I do. I have a friend who knew him, and she describes really? him. Yeah. Uh, well, in uh, to another what uh, an internet friend. She met him at a few tea party events. She was a ah. tea party organizer. And, and is she, this the person that's in your friend list? That sometimes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sometimes yeah. we go off the rails on. It. Yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah, she's she's a, a fairly active was a fair, uh, the Tea Party is slightly defunct now, but she's a fairly active Tea Party uh, organizer, and she met him at some events and uh, described him as as very friendly, uh, big teddy bear looking guy, uh, gruff, and you know who loved to argue, just loved to debate, and also also she described him as. Always having a look on his face like a toddler with a crayon looking at a newly painted wall or something, some word, well, words to that effect. That's a neat way of putting it. So, but yeah, I, it's hard. I, I keeps coming back for me is how much of this do they really believe and how much of this do they work themselves up to believe because there's a hell of a lot of money in this attack media. Right, right. And so, you know, he – and that's – and I like I said, I'm not happy that he died young and I wouldn't wish him dead. But I would wish him self-knowledge and, and maybe some repentance and realizing what it is that he actually left. There's this uh, Shakespeare quote from uh, Julius Caesar. This is, the evil that men do lives after them and the good is oft interred with their bones – and I don't believe, unfortunately, that, you know, although his family and, and some friends might remember him as as being a, a nice guy and having gifts and virtues, I don't think history will look back on his career with any fondness whatsoever. I think he'll be remembered as very destructive, even to his own cause and his own party. Well, I, I guess that uh, depends on who writes that uh, bit of history, you know. Who writes I mean, that Anne, bit of history? Sure. Who's that? Who's that other right-wing nutcase? Anne. Um, Anne Coulter. 
Yeah, I mean, if she writes it, she's going to. I mean, it's just classic. It's it's classic rewriting of history. You know, Reagan. As long as the neocons are writing the history, Reagan is going to be praised as the second coming of Jesus Christ. When um, he was the guy who kind of started the whole uh, sort of uh, mercenary kind of capitalism that's being practiced now and causing so much poverty and, and blah blah blah. Anyway, I don't want to go into that, but but yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's true. I mean, I, I did a, a chat on on one of my own podcasts not too long ago, uh, sort of a roundtable discussion, and the title I picked for it was a comment that came up, which was, I th- I think uh, we were calling the current president Reagan's eighth term. Yeah, yeah, they haven't really changed the economic policies. They're still hoping it'll trickle down one of these days, but that's that's yeah, that's the whole point. I think a lot of the reason that many of these people uh, in the media now remember Reagan so fondly is because those memories are tinted by the fact that they were young and in their prime and just uh, discovering the world and and politics. Right, right. And, and so, like, yeah, when you look back. Uh, when I look back on the Carter administration or the Clinton administration, I was still young and um, more optimistic and more idealistic. And so, you know, not that any of that really got lived up to, and I've become fairly cynical. But uh, And what generation are you of, so our listeners know? Uh, how old are you? I was born in 1967, so I'm, oh, okay. I'm 44. So I guess I'm uh, Generation X. The like early generation X, I think I'm not, not a boomer. Yeah, and for those who don't remember, I was born in '66 and I'm 45. And yeah, I think the generation right before ours was the uh, the boomer generation, not not us. But you know, uh, just to let people know that we're old enough to remember the Carter administration. I mean, I couldn't legally vote yet, but uh, sure. No, but I, I do remember. I have it. early rem- early memories of. Uh, just sketchy memories of the coverage of the Vietnam War on TV and yep, yep. The, co- the coverage of Watergate. And if I reach way back, I probably remember uh, being told that I should pay attention to the, the first uh, men on the moon. But that's a little sketchy. I, was, I remember uh, uh, Nixon's resignation from office. Mm-hmm. I don't think I I knew at the time what I was hearing, but I do remember a lot of coverage about Watergate. So, well, my dad said when he did his final speech from the Oval Office, "Watch this, remember." Yeah, because this yeah. is going to be in the history books someday. Yep. But interesting that interesting now that I should kind of feel that uh, I have more in common with a Republican from the seventies than I do with a far uh, more right wing Democrat. From the 2000s. <laughs> right, yeah. They, they keep moving the center more and more to the right, which I, I, as Rachel was talking about last week, I think that's their goal. Even if a few politicians, including their presidential candidates, have to lose, I think the larger goal is to keep moving the center to the right because then the Democrats go with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's called, but, it's, the concept is called the Overton window. And if you haven't uh, heard that, definitely look it up. It's interesting that there's a, a sort of a window of what's considered acceptable uh, range of discourse from left to right. And it keeps getting pushed farther and farther to the right. Or as Noam Chomsky would say, you make the range of discourse very narrow, but you allow very vigorous debate within that very narrow, limited range. You know, that's a, that's another thing that he talks about uh, quite yeah. a bit. I don't know if you've read any Chomsky, but the guy, the guy's, uh, I think he's got it figured out. He knows what's going on. But anyway, uh, I think we got a tune. You want to play a song? Good. 
Yeah, uh, this is something I discovered while I was searching YouTube for uh, microphone preamp comparisons, like one of those shootouts. Audio nerd. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John used to call me an audio Nazi. <laughs> and I uh, I discovered this uh, Japanese uh, fingerstyle uh, acoustic guitar player named Okayan playing in this video. And then I emailed the people at the YouTube and found their – they gave me their email address and they gave me permission to play it. And, uh, you know, I'll link to Okayan's web pages. But uh, this is a little something called Rainbow Dew by Okayan. Yeah, that's a really nice track. It, it, I love that sort of mellow, bucolic 
uh, fingerstyle kind of guitar. And if I may say, I don't know if you've ever uh, listened to any of the podcasts where we've played this guy, or I don't know if I've ever sent you the links to this guy, but I've become friends with a, a fingerstylist named Simon Fox. Uh-huh. And uh, that tune just very much is in that same vein. You know, it's it's almost like they've never heard each other, but, you know, they play a real similar style. Yeah, I do a little finger picking and I'm I'm just learning it and it's it's hard. It takes a a lot of a lot of practice to get that good. But it's a yeah, it's a very nice tune. It's very uh I kind of think of a sunbeam coming in through a window and dust motes uh, on a sort of a, a lazy afternoon. It's very pretty. Yeah, it's a, it is. It's a very pretty song and uh thank you Okayan for uh graciously allowing us to play that. Very nice. Um yeah, hopefully uh he'll have some more stuff uh that he'll let us play in the uh, in the future because I did ask and I'll I'll pursue that I'll follow it up a little more. So you know, not as if we didn't talk about enough politics. The second topic chosen by Mr. Paul Potts for uh, the the today's show is Rush Limbaugh because that's another very topical thing. Um, for those who don't know, Rush was on the air recently being critical of. A, a, a policy issue where certain medical plans were no longer going to cover a woman's birth control. So there was a hearing and uh, Sandra Fluke, I think her name was. Yeah, I think f- I think you pronounce t- it Fluck and I'm kind of surprised that no one made any horrible, uh, horrible jokes about that. But yeah, I, he called Sandra, her Sandra Fluke. Sandra something, Sandra Fluck, Fluke. Um, I don't know which is correct. Uh, we'll find out by the next show. I apologize if I mispronounced it. Uh, so Rush decided to attack her. Um, Rush seems to be terrified of powerful, smart, intelligent women. And uh, he called her uh, a slut. Uh, he in- intimated that because she liked to occasionally have sex and be protected from being pregnant, that you know he was implying that she was having so much sex she couldn't afford her birth control, and that makes her a prostitute because he wants us to pay for it, and of it course was we're not quite, paying for it. it. It was absolutely, it was quite the ad hominem attack, and if you'd think it was just a, a choice of a few words, he misspoke you know, a couple times. He spent days hitting her yeah. over and over, over again, back to back. Over three days, I think, yeah. Yeah, he talked about men lining up around the block, you know, that she, it, it's just, it just went on and on, you know, where did she get her condoms when she was in sixth grade and whatnot and you know i don't think actually what she was going to testify about didn't actually have anything to do with her own sex life she was going to testify i believe on behalf of a friend of hers who had a a reproductive health problem where but even if even if it was about her sex life who cares we're sexual beings we're human beings you know sex we we can not only can we propagate the species through sex it's fun and you know some of these neocons need to figure that out (laughs) they need what they need to figure out is that this um i mean there is an intellectual debate to be had there on what the nature of sex is and what what it's to be used for properly and morally and all that but that debate... I, I think there's i think there's also a debate potentially to be had on a policy issue about whether it should or shouldn't be covered but you know there's a there's right. a range of discourse that you can have absolutely uh, friendly yeah. and and intellectual <laughs> Absolutely. And um, this this went pretty far off the rails as far as an ad hominem attack goes, and especially given that it really wasn't 
it wasn't about her directly, you know. Well, and, and it was it was borderline slanderous, and and I guess she is actually entertaining the idea of suing him for slander. So it's uh, it's sort of unfortunate. I don't think we have really good uh, libel law in the U.S. Like it's very hard uh, sell to make. Well, but, it's, it's a hard uh, in the standard. UK. Yeah, in the UK, she uh, he'd be he'd be totally guilty of libel. I could. I never knew the difference between slander and libel, but someone said this was more slander than libel. I, you know, those are that's a, a level of minutia that I, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure I could answer that either. Yeah, okay. we'll have to get a lawyer on here one of these days, and then he can uh, he or she <laughs> uh, can uh, maybe it could be Sandra Fluke. Was she pre-law? I don't know. What what what, what did she study at uh, Georgetown? She was. Uh, I don't know a lot about her, but I did. When I saw people start attacking her, I did look her up a little bit and read a little bit. And um, the thing is, like these various other women who sort of put themselves into the political debate, um, she was not exactly maybe what people were were promoting her as. She wasn't a, a fresh-faced 23-year-old law student. Well, I I'm, think I'm people not... assumed she was, and that was right. the mistake. Well, they that also was, th- that narrative kind of happened around Rosa Parks, that she was like an innocent bystander who just got caught up and decided to make a stand. But like Rosa Parks, uh, Sandra Fluck was actually was an activist. You know, she she had been she had worked for nonprofits. She's I think thirty years old and had a history of working with nonprofits that specialized in women's health issues. Not yeah, to well, say that any of be... that. Yeah, we not to say that any of that was justifiable, but um, but that you know, yeah, she was actually she wasn't just a person off the street. I mean, if you're going to testify before Congress, you probably have some history of activism or some history of involvement, you know, and some oh, support oh. behind you. I mean, it could have been her first time, but nonetheless, you know, good for her for being active. I mean. The reason uh, our country is about to be run into the ground is because people, uh, they've been beaten down and the, the activism has been taken out of them, you know? I sure, mean, sure. I, I mean, many I, have ways. Many, I have many friends who were, you know, part of the hippie movement in the 60s and, you know, they just look around and go, what are these kids waiting for? You know, and then, of course, Occupy Wall Street broke out and hopefully that'll expand and grow. But back to Limbaugh, I mean, I remember listening to his show 10, 12 years ago or something, you know, when I was driving somewhere. Yeah, he's been on it. It seems forever. And uh, he was—he's always critical of uh, female liberal Congress critters, uh, either uh, senators or or congresswomen. And uh, he was very typical and common for him to attack the Diane Feinstein and uh, what's her name from. Um, from California. Now she's the uh, minority Pol- speaker for the Democrats. Pelosi. That woman. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi, right? I guess they were uh they were both uh Californiaites and I just remember anytime he would talk about them, he would precede it by playing that uh that song uh she's a bitch, she's a bitch. What's that? Uh, who's the guy who did that? <laughs> Elton John or whatever? Didn't he wasn't the that bitch his song? Is, the bitch is back. Something, something like that. I don't yeah, know, but I mean, I the chorus is something like "She's a bitch, she's a bitch, and she know what she wants." I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. But you know, he would, he would, and this is ten or twelve years ago. I think it's I think been Limbaugh's, that way. It's been that Limbaugh's, way for a long time, and he's he's been using the 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 term. I'm I'm actually I was a little shocked to find out that he's still happily using the feminazi term. The, oh the, God, yeah, yeah, that's 
I don't remember a moment yeah. when he didn't use it. And, yeah. you know, Limbaugh's reign of terror, if you will, has gone unchecked for a long time. I mean, nobody had the guts to stand up to this guy. And I don't know if it is the recent awakening that we had. It's hard to say. I, I would like to believe that uh, what we're seeing with all the, the advertiser withdrawal and all the controversy about this is actually the tip of an iceberg of angry people on the right, people who are actually conservative in the best sense of the word, who believe in family Classic. values. Classic yeah, cl- conservatism. Yeah, I guess now you'd call that paleoconservative, but who <laughs> who actually good. who actually believe that it's not appropriate that this isn't part of the discourse to to slander and, and go ad hominem viciously like this over a woman who's trying to engage in the political process it that 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 I'd like to believe that that's what we're seeing maybe it's not but you know I mean yeah certainly he this is not that different than many of the things he says over the years and much of his rhetoric and certainly of his style it's it's very typical of his style but I, well, I he's think gone he just very, may have gone uh, unchecked. Yeah, he may have just gone one bridge too far, and people are finally well, kind of waking up and noticing. It I seems hope. that the right has has overreached in a few areas. Uh, Wisconsin, where they were trying to take away collective bargaining rights, now they're they've got more than enough signatures to have a recall election for their governor Scott Walker. It seems like the right got used to the fact that they were um, controlling the popular narrative and. You know, people believe, you know, the the popular narrative that the right spews, you know, liberals tax and spend, you know, all these classic things, which if you look at spending isn't true at all. Sure, right. It's, um, it's, so they've yeah. been controlling the, the, the popular narrative for for since Reagan, really. And I think they finally overreached. And I, I blogged about this on my blog last year, but I think the Arab Spring helped reawaken Americans. You know, they saw these people uh, in Egypt and whatnot, you know, fighting for their rights and freedoms, and then suddenly the Wisconsin protests broke out right after that. And I don't think Wisconsin happens without the Arab Spring. And then, of course, you know, Occupy Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street happened too. And like you were saying, you want to see classic neo or paleo conservatives, not neo, neo are the right wing, you know, they're not Russian liberals of the world, but you want to see the paleo classic conservatives. And if what you want to see them break out, and if what's happening in uh, Occupy Wall Street is true, they have to be a part of that collective, right? Because it's Occupy Wall Street is framing it as the ninety nine percent versus the one percent, and of course they mean that from a, an economic perspective. But what, if you look at the ninety nine percent, that has to include a lot of these classic paleo conservatives, right? Yeah, the the. Uh you mentioned uh, Walker in Wisconsin, and he's just one. That's just one example of this uh, coordinated, like simultaneous uh, detonations of legislative bombs all over the country. You know, yeah, that, and hopefully it's a movement, a real yeah, movement in many that's going to get some traction at, at the state level. This attack's been going on, and yeah, it's it's uh, people are starting to take notice. I mean, we've got the situation in Michigan where the financial management law is allowing uh, unelected financial managers to take over yeah, the running right. of all yeah. these local governments and actually strip people of their their local control, and that's it's it's freaking like people a, out. What did they What do they call that? Like when you can demand executive power can just take over in an emergency. Um, what's that classic phrase? Uh, martial law. Yeah, it's like they can declare martial law when they want without an emergency. 
fi- yeah, sort of financial martial law law, law you might call it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. And and um, yeah, you're seeing uh, movements breaking out against that as well. But to bring it back to Limbaugh, uh, the long and short of it is he's lost something like 42 sponsors now who don't believe in what he believes, apparently. Yeah, and, dead air is never a good thing on a, on any radio station. Right. And the other day he had minutes, minutes of dead air and something like 75% of the advertisements that were advertisements were PSAs. They weren't really advertisements at all, you know? Yep. So this is definitely having an impact on him and it'll be interesting to see where it goes, uh, whether enough sponsorship can be taken away. I mean, the right needs him, right? He is their chief mouthpiece. He is their town crier. He is their their propagandist, you know? It, it may be bigger than that. He may be pretty much the chief strategist for the Republican Party now. I mean, there's a lot of people who say that, and I'm sure yeah. there is some truth to it because you, you, you don't see the candidates wanting to cross him. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, They're all terrified. Even Boehner is... And Romney, yeah, everyone was terrified of, of saying anything to contradict him. It's it's really disturbing. Well, we'll see where it falls. We'll see where the cards fall because I think there's a lot more to play out with potentially losing spon- more sponsors. And I know two of his affiliates have left, like two radio stations have left the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, John it's and interesting. I, uh, John and I used to riff on that a little bit. We, when we had big dreams of taking this podcast to monetizing it and doing cool things with it, we used to call our show the VIB instead of the EIB. And <laughs> that was, was that? vegetarians in broadcasting. That's all it was. Cool. Um, so we used to end every show by saying, you've been listening to the VIB. And I may just say it again when it ends. Um, so, yeah, let's let's drop into another tune. Sure. This is uh, another song that I discovered through affiliations on the Internet. Never met the guy. Uh, he, he was re- it was recommended to me to friend him on Facebook by another friend who's a fusion guitarist, a friend of mine named Todd. Uh, we've actually played my friend Todd's music on our podcast before, but he he hooked me up with this guy named Scott Jones. And uh, the very first track in the Flash music player on his website really caught my ear. And uh, this is it. It's, uh, what is it called? It's called Give It Time. And this is by Scott Jones, fusion guitarist extraordinaire.
So that's a really strong fusion track. That's that's kind of the stuff that I listen to, you know, in my spare time. And you know, if 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 I was given a choice of a tune to to listen to, I would probably choose a good fusion guitarist over you know something a little more watered down in four four and and popular. Not that I don't listen to stuff in some popular music and stuff in four four, but yeah, the guy's a ripping guitar player. I mean, the guy's got chops, 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 and he writes really interesting, cool music. You know, very frenzied, very frenetic tune. You know, a lot of tension. In there, yeah. And at re- the same reminds time, reminds me, reminds me just a little bit of uh, of uh, Ornette Coleman and some of these these bebop artists. Well, he definitely yeah. has those influences, and you know, it's a like I was saying, it's a it's the tune has a lot of tension, and it's almost like he never really releases it, and and you know, and if you have, which is fine if you do that every once in a while, you know. Yeah. Um, but I and I've heard a lot of his music, and it's all very very good. He, he's concentrating more on being kind of like a TV film composer now. Uh, in other words, he's not going out and gigging and trying to push his fusion thing and try to be the next Alan Holdsworth because he's got those kind of chops. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all it's all about who gets discovered and why. You know, we don't know. It's you know, it's being in the right place at the right time. But now he's trying to apply himself as a uh, a composer and who does scoring for films and television. And uh, I'll link to his uh, his blog as well. But the guy's just a ripping player and definitely going to play uh, some more of his stuff in the future. Nice. I look forward to it. Yeah, at the end of BV, I used to do like a film review because one of the things I used to do on um, Friday nights would be go to uh, a local indie theater. But I haven't done that now because curling, my new passion, has replaced that on Friday nights. But I definitely do got to get back into the indie movie scene and check out some good flicks because uh, I just love a good film, you know? Yeah, I do too. I was going to try yesterday to to get the the – uh, family out to a movie called The Secret Life of Variety, uh, which is by uh, Studio Ghibli, an animated film. Mm. And well, I in really, the future, yeah. Oh, I just I really love Studio Ghibli's work. It's not directed by Miyazaki, but it's uh, of the same the group. But right, I, right. it's not playing anywhere around here, unfortunately. I don't have a good uh, theater that plays a lot of independent releases nearby, unfortunately. Right. Well, in the future, we'll do that. Well, that sound can only mean one thing. It's time to sign off. And uh, you've been listening to the new Bloodthirsty Vegetarians with Rich Wilgus. I'm Paul Potts. Well, thanks for joining us on this reboot. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Hopefully our schedules will allow us to do as many of these as we possibly can. Like I said earlier, I think once a month in the beginning is a good goal to shoot for, and hopefully more often. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the rebound. You've been listening to the VIBs.